episode of the Mark Podcast. I am your host, Marvin B., and we're coming at you from a lovely spot down here in Fort Lauderdale on a lovely, gorgeous day. No rain so far, and uh, having a great time down here. So I've got a great guest coming up, but before we bring the guest on, I just wanted to go ahead and do a couple of housekeeping announcements. Uh, first thing I want to do is say that I found my yearbook from Satellite High School, so I'm able to now go back and find out some information on some people, see what uh, people graduated with me, before me, or after me, because for some reason I got some people mixed up. So I've got that. I found it, and uh, I will be researching that over the coming weeks as we go forward. I also want to say that I got a few emails over the past week. We have been quite busy. I first want to say thank you. A lot of people reached out. So ever since the George Floyd incident happened and America has now started this new conversation on race relations and things of that nature, some people reached out to me and wanted to ask questions and you know, thank me for sharing what I did on my podcast and to ask questions about, you know, what things can be done, how can we help on this small level, and we are going to be doing that. I won't be spending a ton of time on that today. I just wanted to say thank you to the people that are out there that reached out to me, had a lot of conversations last week, a lot of late nights having some discussions. Uh, We're going to be doing some panels uh, in the coming weeks. I don't know when, I don't know in what format, but those things will be coming. So if you have questions or want to participate and want to hear uh, what we're going to be doing at the, I guess, ground roots level for me, um, you can hear that on upcoming shows. I won't be out protesting or anything like that, but I will be having those discussions. Uh, Just one thing I probably should say is that I actually had an interesting discussion with the wife because If you are listening to this podcast and you've never seen me in person, you should know that I am a black man. And those of you that have followed me over the years realize that I married a white woman. And she is from a small town in Ohio. And when I say small, I'm saying that my graduating class at Saladite High School was bigger than her entire school. And her school had one black family throughout her entire time there. So she has a much different perspective. And when her and I started dating, she had some things to deal with that I did not think about in terms of her family and friends, uh, seeing her date a black man, and in terms of her work. And just to give a real quick example, I could not pick her up from work when I had her car and was up visiting her. I actually had to park over in another parking lot so that her boss or people in management would not see because uh, uh, he was a racist little bastard and probably would have uh, taken something out on her. He did to other people. So she had to remind me of some of those things that she had to deal with. So a lot of interesting discussions will be coming up. So just want to do that. So let's go back to some good news. Uh, Palm Beach Atlantic College, uh, for those of you listening that went to PBA, Uh, If you are an alumni, you should have received an email asking you to adopt a sailfish. And basically, as 
The graduates are entering into the real world. They are looking for some of the alumni to reach out and just simply give them some encouragement, write a card, send a letter, all of that sort of stuff. Uh, If you did not receive the email, I will put a link in the show note that you can use to go and find out more about that. You can also email Katie Gentry, and that is Katie with an I-E underscore Gentry at pba.edu and uh, get more information on that. I also want to give an update for those of you that were listening live to the show that I did with Pamela Green Luke. Her daughter actually called in during the show and we had a nice quick conversation And one of the things that Shelby had asked me to do was to write her a letter of recommendation because she was looking for a job. Well, never had to do that because she actually took a teaching position. Shelby is now going to be a first grade school teacher. Um, And uh, that is going to be great. I don't know if I can give out any more information on that. So I will wait and confirm that with Shelby to see what I can say or not say, but. For those of you that were wondering what happened to Shelby, that is what happened there. All right. And go through notes. I think we're good. We're ready to go on to the show. So the guests that I have tonight, if you did not head over to UncleMarv.com and peek, uh, Uli Bernier uh, was somebody that graduated from Satellite High School. He, as I found out, actually graduated a year before me. In 1984, and uh, I knew him from playing football, but I did not realize that he also took a lot of French back then. Uh, Uli's experience is something that I did not know about. Uh, He graduated with a degree in chemistry from Florida State University, went on to get a doctorate Um, at the University of Florida, just recently retired after 24 years at the U.S. Department of Agriculture in the Agricultural Research Service. And uh, I know I can't say a lot of these things, Uli, so as we talk tonight, you will be explaining all of that to us. But Uli, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing fine. How are you? Uh, I'm doing pretty good there. What's that shirt you got on? Uh, one of those Disney races that we used to get to do before COVID. Uh, is, is a, we do four races in a row, 5K, 10K, half, and a full marathon. Oh, really? Uh, this, this is like the 2017. I did them up until, I think, 2019, and I decided I was getting a little too old and too heavy. It was hard on the body. So mm-hmm. I still do half marathons. Okay. Were you uh, running or walking? Running. Okay. Part of the time. Well, as I got heavier, I couldn't run the whole time anymore. I had to walk part of the time. Okay. Yeah. Very yeah, I just I just signed up for the Princess Half Marathon next year. Really? Today. I just signed up this morning. That was my, um, is that uh, one the of one my duties for the morning. Is that the one in Orlando? That is. At okay. Walt Disney World. Correct. All right. Yeah. I won't be doing that. So so you'd mentioned yearbooks, and I just happened to dig this out, Marvin. Do you remember this gentleman here? <laughs> oh, my goodness gracious. And is that hair? Yeah. <laughs> As you can tell, I haven't had a haircut in a very long time down here. Uh, well, so Satellite High School, I, re- I remember you going around uh, on your moped. Um, I remember that. And I remember Stephen Powell. 
coming back from Florida State and visiting, and I don't know if you were with me or not. I was trying to remember. There was it was beyond football. You and I did something else. I thought a little bit more cerebral, Uh-oh. though never to your level of that. But um, I thought you and I were doing some other things too somewhere at satellite. Other things. Now you have me worried. But you see how my memory is so far. You asked me, do I have headphones? And I point blank told you no. <laughs> and I realized when you stepped away, it's like, oh, God, I got headphones upstairs. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, that explains well, that. So satellite. So Let me correct you because Stephen went to Auburn. Wow. <laughs> I was supposed to go to Florida State, but I did not. Okay. All right. So no, no, I had come back from Florida State. That, uh, that's what I was trying to say. Oh, okay. And I remember Stephen was at his house there, not too far from Delora, and uh, he just wasn't feeling well. Right. You know, that was a little bit after we graduated. He just wasn't feeling well that day, and so went by and said hi to him. And I think that was the last time I saw him. Mm. Was that time? But anyway, I just want to say I've enjoyed all your guests. Um, I, I went back and listened to all of Karen's last week. Uh, the Zach. I remember Chris's. Yeah, and, and Chris mentioning how we do such a terrible job of keeping up with people. And so, um, and, and there were parts of my life, like when you came to D.C., uh, I took Wendy Morrison nudging me, where she said, hey, Uli, did you see Facebook? It's like, I, I wasn't paying attention to the Facebook at that time. Uh, Marvin's going to be in town. He's saying, if anybody is here local, let me go see him. I said, okay, let's go. Um, we'll go downtown that night. Yep, that is true. So I'm glad we did. It was nice to see you. Yep, that was just after I started announcing where I was. Even when I would travel before, I would not tell people until after I had visited and left because I didn't want to be bombarded. Uh, So now I always tell people ahead of time, in fact, let me do this because I should have done this earlier, but this upcoming weekend, uh, the wife and I will be heading over to the west coast of Florida to Bonita Springs. On behalf of my good friend, Becky Beal Burnett, we have to announce that. And if all goes well, we should be meeting up with Carol McKenna Hamilton. Very nice. So you just hosted her uh, this past weekend mm-hmm. down in the Keys. Yeah, well, she stayed right down the road. I just met her and uh, her husband and another couple for a couple of drinks here and there when mm-hmm. we had time. Uh, that was nice to see her after so many years. It's been 35 years since I've seen Carol. Mm. And, uh, I understand you. And it's are, funny when you see. I was going to say, you're, you're Mr. Host down there. I hear everywhere you guys went, everybody <laughs> knew you as if you had, you know, standing, uh, standing reservations at all of the bars and restaurants. It's, it's a small island and there's only one guy named Julian. <laughs> so. I can get in a lot of trouble that way too, Marvin. Trust me. So uh, I always try to be in my best behavior and a good host when people true. come down. All right. Everybody's invited. I love having folks come down here and visit. It's such a it's a great, unique kind of place. Um, we just got the rainbow stripes back on Duval Street around mm-hmm. the gay section of town. Okay. And uh, that was great to see normality somewhat re- return back to this island. All right. All right. So um, I interrupted you. You were about to say something. I know. You know, I was going to say, all right, you had covered going to Florida State, went there in 84, graduating in 87, and then I realized I overlap with some folks at University of Florida from 87 to somewhere there, 87, 89. I ended up being in Gainesville for 30 years. After I did the, the doctorate in chemistry, I started a postdoc there working on the basis of why some people are more attracted to mosquitoes than others, and from a chemical standpoint. 
So I did a lot of volatile chemistry, and this will come back at the end when we start talking about the White House committees I was on. Okay. Uh, so I did a lot of volatile chemistry and understanding the movement of, of odor plumes and how mosquitoes detected those and, and what chemicals lead to the attraction of mosquitoes to people. So some of those patents that I got were on blends to attract certain species of mosquitoes. Uh, around 2000, I somebody retired and the repellents program got dropped in my lap. And the repellents program is the same one that was um, in operation that led to the discovery of DEET, right? The, okay. the most popular mosquito and insect repellent that we use, arthropod repellent. And so I headed that section for the better part of 16 years, which included the military uniforms in 2003. So the Marine Corps came down to, to the University of Florida there in Gainesville and down to the USA laboratory and asked me, uh, can you help us? Please, we just had to scrub an operation in, in Monrovia, Liberia, where 84 Marines out of 225 had to be medevaced out because they contracted malaria. And we'll come back to malaria again when we start talking about viruses and, and epidemiology and transmission. But malaria is, is a tough one because mosquitoes transmit that, and they come in and they fly. So the uniform, we had to come up with a way to make it as protective as possible and make it for the lifetime of the uniform, and that's what they asked me to do. And so that's what I worked on for the better part of the middle 2000s and uh, led to the Marine Corps having those uniforms being issued, all factories treated in 2007, and the Army adopted that policy, that, that same procedure. So that's where, my, where I'm known mostly for is, is two things, understanding human skin chemistry and, and military uniforms. And then after the, the Gainesville stand, I, I wanted to explore a little bit more of what it's like in leadership management positions within USDA, went up to D.C. in 2015 on a temporary basis. Zika virus came to the United States in 2016, right there in January, right. asked to be on the White House Zika virus um, working group uh, by the Obama administration, had formed that. And so I was one of the USDA representatives. Usually there were three of us that go to the meeting. So it would be each department, like state would be there, transportation, uh, CDC would represent as an agency within their department. Uh, but clearly in DOD, most of the, the time it was DOD and, and myself, USDA, doing the talking about interventions and how do we control this Zika virus cycle, transmission cycle. And then the last committee I was on was the Pandemic Prediction and Forecasting Science and Technology Working Group, PPFSTWG, at the White House. And uh, that committee is still going today without the permanent people uh, the current administration released those people in 2017. Wow. Bet you they wish they had so, it right now. That, that's the synopsis of, of my career. And how does a guy from satellite high school and a chemistry degree end up in a position where you have a say-so in, in forecasting and, and looking at pandemics and, and how do we handle these things? But, of course, I retired July officially July 7th. And we didn't know about this pandemic till much closer to December. Right. No, right. December of last year. So let me ask a question, and we're going to probably go backwards in time. Okay. So in terms of you being on that prediction committee, mm -hmm. and you said that, you know, there was no knowledge of COVID-19 at that time, was the job of that committee to kind of forecast and you know, really, truly, were you trying to see what was coming down the road? Yeah, what we focused on quite often, uh, we did have discussions on SARS and MERS. And if we had another 
outbreak. And, and a little bit later in the show, I'll go through a little bit of, of how these things mutate and what happens. Um, but we, we did look at that. A lot of time we spent with things like Rift Valley Fever, for example. And Rift Valley Fever is a mosquito-transmitted disease that causes aborted fetuses in cattle, and it causes mortality in cattle as well as humans. So if we, and or I shouldn't say if, when we end up with Rift Valley Fever here in the United States, it's going to be devastating for certain states like Florida, Texas, with the cattle industry, where you have the right mosquito species to transmit it. And just to give you a little bit of, of some numbers, if you look at Zika virus, you notice how it kind of died out, right? Yeah. We just don't have the right species at the right uh, levels, high enough population of those species, Aegis aegypti, except in southern Florida and southern Texas, along that sun belt down there in the southern states. And you, you don't have the human behavior like we used to, where you sit outside all the time to give the uh, ample opportunity for the mosquitoes to take a blood meal from you and transmit the pathogen when they take the blood meal. So, Having said that, the transmission efficiency of Aedes aegypti for Zika virus is somewhere less than 10%. Rift Valley fever, if we had that cycling through the United States, in Florida, the salt marsh mosquito up where you're at, Marvin, Aedes tenorhynchus, that thing is 78% transmission efficiency. That's huge. That's someone that's all over, all over the Everglades right now, right? Super capable, and it loves biting humans. And so you'd see it cycle through the human population much more efficiently than Zika virus ever would. Mm. Now, um, the secondary mosquito, there's a one called 80s vexins, a Florida strain, 25% transmission efficiency. Uh, not going too, I, I know you want to say, not going too far into details, but one strain here in Florida may be different than the strain we have out west in terms of its transmission efficiency, too, for these diseases. Okay. Mosquitoes adapt very well, much yes, more than people do. They do. Now, yeah. we were hearing a few weeks ago about a new mosquito epidemic coming. Um, I forget. It's not the African mosquito. What was the that one that just came out? We were having, I think, dengue resurgence of dengue cases. Okay, cases, right? Yeah, reemergence. Um, that is expected from time to time. Oh, uh, encephalitis, uh, Venezuelan equine encephalitis. Mm. Uh, you're seeing some resurgence, but encephal encephalitides are tend to be cyclic anyway, right? It's just like our flu cyclic. Right. Uh, there's always a, a they tend to stay in some of the reservoir hosts, and then it can flare up at any time, um, depending on the environmental conditions primarily. All right. You know, wet rain seasons. All right. So now let's circle back to the beginning. You mentioned how is it that a you know guy that got a degree in chemistry ended up there. But let's even go back before that because I, you know, I think most of our interaction really was around football. I don't think we had classes together. I know I took physics. I don't think you were in that class. And I was in I, math, I was in a lot of math classes. Right. I remember you you had mentioned the calc. You were talking to to one of your guests. I don't remember who. Right. Um, but me was Karen talking about the calc. Um, okay. But but also, go ahead. But you're you're okay. So you're in, you first of all you grew up in Indian Harbor Beach. Mm -hmm. Okay, but you're not from Indian Harbor Beach, right? Yeah, I was born at Travis Air Force Base in California, so I know it's come up on your show. I'm an Air Force uh, babe. My, my father was okay. in the Air Force. And then uh, six months after I was born, moved to Biloxi, Mississippi. And then in 68, when he went off to fight at the end of the Vietnam War, I uh, ended up going with my mother to Germany, my brother and I, Eon, who I think you know too. 
We both went to Germany with my mother for about eight months. I learned to speak German before English. Uh, you can never tell now. I um, I don't speak German very well at all. I still go over there and try to try to practice okay, all the where time. Were, where were you at over there? In Germany? Yeah. A place called Bernkastle. Okay. I was at Tempelhof in Berlin. Okay. So you're up northeast of me. Okay. I don't, I don't know where. I just... <laughs> Uh, yeah, I was there. I was there before I moved to uh, Satellite Beach. Yeah, interesting. I, I remember some of these discussions you've had with other folks on your show about the the lineage of where we've been. Okay, so uh, after I came back somewhere, um, I'm sorry, it was '67. I was in Germany, so I was very young. Came back around January '68. My brother was born in Panama City, okay, uh, in the Air Force Base, I believe. And February of 68. And then October 69, we moved into Indian Harbor Beach in Algonquin Terrace. You remember Crispino Field, that baseball field, the senior league field that we had in Indian Harbor Beach? In, we um, played the baseball game. in Indian Harbor Beach, that was not off Banana Drive, was it? Or Indian it was, um, yeah, it was not too far. Uh, Jim Yorios and uh, Gene Yorio and uh, the Yorios lived on one corner on the, okay. the right hand uh, field side. I was on the left hand side. Uh, left center field, right around the, the foul line. Okay. Right there, right over that. That's where I grew up, October 69. And then we moved away in 73 for about almost almost two years. We, uh, my father was working for, um, and I think Karen mentioned Harris. Uh, it was radiation when it started, and then it was absorbed by Harris, I believe, and worked at a, uh, um, a monitoring facility in Asmara, Eritrea, uh, a section right above Ethiopia. I uh, worked there monitoring transmissions, primarily Russian. And I never knew my father. I knew my father could speak about six languages, just never knew he could speak Russian. He was, did a communications in the Air Force. Right. And uh, so he was there. And then we came back in 1975. And after that, my brother and I just looked at our parents and said, we're done with traveling. That's a shame. Uh, <laughs> so we just want to stay in Indiana Beach and go to, um, end up going to Hoover, right? Carol McKenna. Sorry about uh, that. Also. That's right. That's the way it happens. I, 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 I wish we would have gone to Delora. It would have been more fun to hang with you all, but at least we had the time and satellite together. Yeah, that is true. That is true. Those were good days. And, uh, oh, and Larry and, and, I mean, Lenny and Mary were on the show, and, and it reminded me there were times weightlifting. I got a weightlifting set because of Lenny DeBruyne. Really? Because I went to Lenny's house, just like you, yeah, and lifted weights there, and I went home, bugged my parents. Wow. I need a weightlifting set. Okay. You used it about three times, and that was the end of that. And then it you know, started rusting on the patio. Okay. So let me ask this. So because of that, I'm trying to understand most of us in sports were not, you know, super smart. Somehow I ended up with those people every now and then. Right. But So how did you, you know, balance being interested in football and being interested in chemistry? Because – I don't know anybody else that did that. Well, Marvin, unlike you, my sports talent was inversely proportional to my <laughs> academic talent. So, <laughs> there was a big trade-off there. <laughs> All right. I wish I would have been better, but I wasn't. Um, yeah, I was always a year behind in sports. Anyway, the chemistry, I was, I was deathly afraid of chemistry. Right? Most people took it in 10th grade, and I was like, oh, God, no. Don't want to take chemistry. I took anatomy and physiology in 10th grade with, with Alan Skelly. Oh, Coach Skelly. And then I took, I loved it so much, I took uh, AP. Uh, 
it was like a self-study anatomy and physiology too with Alan Skellett and then TA'd uh, for him uh, one period. And then I took chemistry and by God, I was really good at chemistry. Leisure was my teacher. I think he might've been the same for you. Gary Leisure, you remember him? Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> and who was, who was the other Lester, Sandra Lester? Miss Lester. Does that I, sound right? Yeah, I don't remember. It was the one, she was on the corner and we, I remember we walked out of her class one day. <laughs> I don't remember why. Oh, well, I, I remember going with Al Skellett out into the hallway. Uh, we couldn't get them to change the fluorescent bulbs in the classroom. So he's like, well, come with me for a second. Let me get this ladder. Um, he says, check around, see if anybody's watching. And he had me get up on the ladder and pull the fluorescent bulbs out from the hallway and bring them back into the room and put them up into his classroom so we'd have better lighting. <laughs> yep, that sounds like him. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> but I also remember uh, the fetal pigs taking um, – well, actually, we were skinning chicken, too. At some time when I was a TA, as a joke, I would throw them into Mr. Mock's room, which was right around the corner, out the back door. Okay. And, uh, just for laughs. And it's like all these things we did, you know, it's just absolutely immature. Uh, all right. So I have to make a quick stop here because sure. Wendy has now written something twice that I don't understand where she just writes, look in your yearbook. So, uh, Wendy, you're going to have to explain your book's a pretty big book. So I need to know what it is I'm looking for. <laughs> and there were three. So one for yes. each year. So which yearbook pulled, and what am I looking for? I pulled the 84, my graduating years uh, one, but you were, you were in the other one too. But that had the best picture that I wanted to, to show. From your, to show me? You. Yes. That, well, just to show in general on your show. No. <laughs> okay, Wendy, uh, looking in the yearbook is not going to remind me who my teacher was. Oh, oh, Miss Lester. Okay. But I'll look and see if that's the right name. Because if it's the wrong name, I'm not going to know. It's right, Wendy. Maybe you were here for the running joke that uh, my memory's not good either on some things. Yeah. Um, so for, here's funny. Th I didn't actually realize you were a year ahead of me. Oh, you did? No, I did. I don't... Oh, okay. Yeah, no, I. Um, I. Because I was because I was looking in the yearbook and I'm like, wait a minute, why is he not here? And I, my first thought was, did he not graduate? Because people have done that, right? So, no, always running a year behind, I guess. Mm. And what's even funnier is I, um, I I made a terrible mistake when I went to Florida State. I graduated way too early. I was I was I went to Florida State because at that time University of Florida offered a uh, biochemistry degree, but only graduate level. Okay. Florida State had the undergraduate biochemistry degree, so I'm like, okay, I'm going to get a, a degree in biochemistry because uh, I like studying diseases and um uh, you know here we are full cycle right towards the end of my career but when i got there i i was looking at the, the biochemistry requirements and after two semesters I'm like wow i can get out of here in less than three years with a chemistry degree so let's just get a chemistry degree and i should have stayed and maybe got an mba or something just stayed a little longer and enjoyed it but nope right through two years and ten months out of florida state Back to University of Florida with some of my 84 grads from Satellite High School who are still finishing up their bachelors. What a terrible mistake because I show up at UF totally burned out, mm. right? So it can happen. Burned out, not really grasping the whole research concept. So I sucked 
for about two years, floundering, you know, like a fish. Right. Just couldn't couldn't get on track. Great at the bookwork, terrible making that transition to an academic career where we do research. But somehow it came to me one day. The light bulb went on and I started doing research and figuring out how to devise uh, those hypotheses and conduct the research to answer. Now, do you think your burnout was from cramming all that work into three years? I mean, did you not do any of the social stuff while you were there? Oh, God, no, Marvin. I was um, playing quarters just about every single night or chugging pitchers of beer at the first. Okay. Which is a local uh, a bar we had on campus. So, no, I was having a great old time. But I would, all weekend long, when I was not partying at night, I would literally get up at 9 o'clock in the morning and sit there at a desk for 12 hours straight until 9 o'clock that night. Uh, girlfriend at the time would go off and grab me something to eat, bring it to me. I'd sit there and just work away, mm. writing notes, learning. Uh, it did, unlike my brother, who didn't have to study like that, I had to, I had to really spend a long time studying to, to do well. All right. So you said that you know maybe it wasn't a good idea for you to finish so early, but do you think yeah. you would have been on the same path, or would things have gone a little differently no, for I, you? I probably had... I would have hopefully had more years in before I retired. Okay. So, so, you know, Karen had said something that was surprising. She had mentioned she had a stroke. So what I've, what I've left out so far is more on the personal side. You had asked me about the running shirt. I didn't take up running until 2003 ish. And I didn't take that up until after I had a heart attack when I was 35 years old. Hmm. So there was an interesting progression in January. Uh, January 2002, uh, my mother, well, back going back to November of 2001, my mother, I know she was losing weight. I came home for Thanksgiving. I could tell she was really getting skinny and uh, forgetful to the point where she like heat, like heat up soup and forget she put it in the microwave. It turns out that she had cancer and was trying to hide it or, or trying to just not disclose it. And uh, in January, I went down to pick her up and I brought her to Gainesville to my doctor. And that the day before she died, he had brought her into a specialist. He looked down and she had throat cancer. She was a smoker all her life mm. and uh, passed away the next day. And sometime within the next day or two, well, I went down to satellite beach in her beach. We were at the, uh, the restaurant that used to be called the Cove. Okay. Yeah. Eating a dinner. I had a mixed drink and I felt like somebody was stabbing me through my chest somewhere around January 27th of 02 somewhere three days after my, my mother died. And I didn't know what that was. So I laid down and people said I looked a little white. Um, no, just and profusely sweating. Well, that those episodes continued for about a month and a half until the March 15th of 02. And I'm at work sitting at my computer uh, trying to get some work done. I get the tunnel vision, the sweats, really dizzy. And it lasted about six or seven minutes. And so I uh, went down the hall. My technician, I said, hey, let me tell you about, I went to the doctor that morning and had an uh, electrocardiogram that everything looked normal. And so I went into work and then uh, I drove myself to the, my, my technician had said, hey, let me call 911. I said, no, 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 it's just I'm, I'm a little nervous, worked up. And I drove myself to the hospital a little bit later, realizing things were not quite right. I uh, checked in. Next day, the, the internist came in and said, wow, you've got an elevate, elevated CPK. Uh, so muscle damage, he said, we're going to do the troponin level, which came back positive later that night, Saturday night, and uh, I'd had a heart attack. And so 
on that Monday, they put me in and found down at the bottom part of my heart, I had the right coronary artery 99% blocked, and that was causing the issue. So they stented it, and I, uh, I uh, ended up having uh, cardiac arrest on that table. So they shocked me. <laughs> And then I came back with the uh, the wrong rhythm, but you're still semi-conscious. And I remember thinking, oh, God, I told my wife at the time before I went to the hospital, yeah, everything's going to be okay. They're just going to do this little procedure. Everything's be fine. And then I felt, too, you know, that next shock came, and I still wasn't completely out. And I remember screaming, whoa, lifting up off the table, like the sound of a phone book hitting the floor, and feeling, you ever been shocked, Marvin? You ever, no. you ever felt that? It's like your whole body is ringing and it hurts, and I can smell singed skin. It's it's not glamorous like on TV. When you get a couple hundred jewels, um, no, that's not a glamorous thing. You come back not feeling good. And I looked at the technician. I said, Pete, it was so peaceful going out. Why did you do that to me? He goes, I'm sorry, man. You're so young, and I wanted you back. I was 35. Well, anyway, so I had the stent placed, and they noticed uh, at the left interior descending at the top part of my heart, 50% more blockage. It's hereditary, right? My father had a triple bypass when he was uh, 50 years old, died at 58. Wow. And so and I somehow thought I was doing better than my father at this. And it's like, nope, there's a rude awakening. Wow. So, so neither. So you had no real symptoms up until then, just. Well, I couldn't figure out why my muscles were hurting in my upper body, like across my arms. And, you know, you think it's like a deep sensation. And the only other weird thing I tell my physicians is my left arm doesn't feel like my right arm. It feels like it's asleep, but it's not asleep. It's, it's something so different. It's such a weird sensation were you, to describe. Were you still working out then? I mean, did you think yeah, it was still like- working, still working? Yeah. No shortness of breath. Um, but yeah, no, not working out. Oh God, no! I was totally sedentary, sitting at a desk job the whole well, time. Well, I thought maybe if you were, you know, were still lifting, you would thought, well, maybe it's just soreness from the lift or something. Yeah, lifting myself up before. Yeah, off the I'm couch. lifted. <laughs> but no, so it's 2002. I had a second stent in July, and then because I noticed when I would start running. Uh, that I would have that same left arm pain. It was reproducible. You know, being the scientist, I'd make it happen six times in a row while I was running and then stop running and it would go away. So I went to the doctor, uh, again, cardiologist. I said, hey, I think there's that blockage that was 50%. You need to check it. It was 85% three months later. All right. So that's how fast things can occlude in your arterial vessels. I'm learning that one. So I was fine. 15 years, I did the mostly the right things for the first 10 in terms of exercise. I dropped 148 pounds, a skinny little thing in the middle 2000s. And then slowly work started creeping back in. And then when you saw me in D.C., I was back almost to my heaviest again. Hmm. And 2016 had to go back in. There's an edge effect when they place those non-drug-eluting stents, the old ones, um, on those corners. It causes a little bit of damage to arterial lining to the vessels. And so they tend to have plaque formation. So they had to stent on each side of those original ones. Are those, I, are those the ones right. that they're like little metal with the mesh? Right. They're like those little Chinese finger torture right. things, except, you know, ballpoint pen, but cross, cross air, cross stitch, you know, those little platinum. There's a lot of platinum in my coronary arteries. I got seven now. Yeah. So, yeah, that there was still one more area in the medial part of the left interior descending that needed to be stented in 2018 because I kept trying to run half marathons with the same arm pain. I said, look, I still have this arm pain. Something's not quite right. And so once they did that, and I've lost 20 pounds since I got down here, more 25, 
things are better now. I don't have any of the symptoms anymore. All right. So it's easier to run. Yeah. When I, let's see, in 17, I had just retired from, from all sports. I was still playing basketball, uh, still doing, you know, extracurricular stuff and, uh, and not just, you know, regular basketball. I was playing, you know, all the guys, you know, first of all, our league, I shouldn't say it's a league, but you had to play ball in college or higher. So we were playing against, you know, real basketball players. And some of them were um, obviously much taller than I. So let's just say I had to be point guard uh, for no other reason because there wasn't another guy there under 6'1 or 6'2 and uh, had a couple of semi-pro guys out there and stuff. So when I saw you, I just basically said, I'm done. No more. I'm not going to. And I'm not going to work out. I'm not going to exercise. Although the wife is pushing me to do the yoga. So, <laughs> something may happen. Now, weren't you? You were a running back, I thought, right? I was running back up until senior year when Verbin showed up. I had to switch out to receiver. Verbin catching. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. remember Verbin catching. Unfortunately, he passed away some some years ago. I remember seeing. Yeah. That. I was sad to see that. Yeah. So then I, yeah, then I went to receiver and then, then basketball, I was all over the place, uh, wherever, wherever they needed me to play. I played and, uh, played heavy for many years, played softball, did all that. But, you know, I got to the point where I was 48 guarding a 24 year old <laughs> because I was the only one that could do it. And I said, wait a minute, I think I'm good. <laughs> I did <laughs> Yeah, knowing when to quit, that's most of the battle. Yeah. So so, so that was uh, an interesting year for you. So so you've lost both your parents, and that happened in 2002. So uh, life must have a much different uh, perspective for you. Yeah, I, I lost my father in 91. That was hard. Okay. Uh, because he was on Ascension Island working at a facility that monitors uh, the launches from the Cape, the military launches. And so he was responsible for some of the downrange uh, communication and some other stuff related to uh, aborted missions and blowing, you know, blowing the rocket up if it goes a little bit off trajectory. Uh, so, yeah, that was just sudden. He was on Ascension Island, and one day I get a call at 1030 when I was in grad school. Hey, your father passed away. And it's like, you know, and I never got to tell him some things. Now, my mother... The night before she died, she was at my house in Gainesville, and I was able to talk to her and say, you know, hey, Mom, what am I going to do without you when you're gone? You know? And she said, she goes, Oli, I've had a good life. Um, I've had to go through with my parents. You're going to be just fine. It's, you know, it's when my, my time is coming, it's my time. And so I was glad, you know, so I was able the night before to tell her, hey, thank you for, for everything you did. All those, all those years I did boneheaded things in high school, and you had to come give me coffee at four in the morning when I drove home. Mm. We better say that for another time. I will Actually, say, let's do that. Yeah, I will say having chats with your parents is something that we need to do. So my mom is on her second stint with cancer. And the way that my mom tells us that she has something is she'll call and say, just wanted you to know I'm headed to the hospital tomorrow for surgery. That's how I find out about things going on. 
Um, so when you made the comment earlier about, you know, your mom possibly hiding stuff from you, that's, um, my mom is the queen of hiding stuff. So, well, but as we, as we spoke about this, uh, about two weeks ago, and I hope she's, she's going to be all right. And yeah, it was nice meeting her Yeah, last time. Yep. All things are fine now. So she's good. Uh, Kim is good. Um, I'm good. Knocking on the desk here <laughs> and, uh, we'll go there. All right. So let's get back to, let's talk about, go back and talk about the good things in life. So you were, you know, back doing these things. So you were at the white house. Mm-hmm. Um, how long were you actually there? Well, I would go for meetings. Whenever there are scheduled meetings, you have the option of either calling in or you can go down to the Eisenhower building and go through security, uh, with those, those government badges, uh, lines somewhere around here. Anyway, uh, that allows you, it's much easier to get in, right? Cause we're all got federal employees and, uh, you go through security screening into that. No cell phones allowed in rooms, as you can imagine. Uh, we leave our cell phones in the boxes outside and then we have those meetings. Uh, so I was, I was definitely acting the Zika virus for the pandemic prediction. I tried to stay in my office because sometimes, uh, it's just I had many things going on, and that was uh, with all those things going on in those twelve-hour workdays. I was uh, well, maybe not that's an exaggeration, but it was very long workdays where I wasn't. I was too tired to exercise when I got home. Didn't feel like doing it. I hated six months of winter, so I had a real problem up in D.C. I was gaining weight again, and uh, so the good things. So in 2018, I was with my brother, and he looks at me when we're out, and he said, "Oh, what the heck are you doing? You're." You know, what does it take to get you to retire you know, and work on your health like you should be doing? I mean, is, is the job that important? Uh, you tell me. And I said, well, you know, I, I'd love to retire. And, and if I do, I just sell everything off and go to Key West and live a little shack down there. And I said, well, let me help you out. So he's helped me out, make sure I got yeah. my dream down here in Key West. And, and I'm proving to him that, yeah, once I'm down here, I'm not, I, I do go to the bars. I still enjoy drinking, but I'm not hanging on the bars all day. I spend most of my morning exercising. Uh, watching sunrises. If you're on the Facebook, you'll see I, I tend to post like, going to the face. Okay, that now talk about fun. What I discovered on the face when you call it the Facebook, I love it. You know, one of your earlier episodes, I think with Chris, I post information about COVID nineteen. Mm-hmm. I get maybe a dozen likes. I post a picture of me with a little little chicken, a little hen on my shoulder. I get two hundred twenty six likes. I'm go. Like, oh, I get it. People don't want to hear the boring science. They just want to see the fun pictures. Absolutely, so I, yeah. I'm reserving the fun pictures now. The Facebook pictures, like with, with friends from high school or whatever. That's what I'll do on Facebook. Now. No more hit you over the head with this COVID-19 stuff. And, uh, yep. I, once you figure it out, you know, the Facebook, because I would post stuff and it'd be like, is nobody caring about that or is nobody looking at it? But yeah, I'll you know, post a picture of me and the wife and, you know, ding, 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 ding. You know? um, and then, of course, if I post that I was going somewhere and people are like, why didn't you let me know and stuff like that? It, it is a very interesting world. And I found that we live in a world, and, and again, I, I'm not to, you know, travel too far off path, but we're in a situation where if America doesn't take things a little more serious than they they are now we're going to be in a whole heap of trouble because here's the thing everybody's always serious about getting the bigger house getting the nicer car you know looking good and being able to you know have the life 
Um, but we've ignored a lot of stuff that is now, you know, coming around. And, you know, even right. something, you know, the COVID, yes, you know, something you really can't predict, you can't plan for. Mm-hmm. Um, but we never really got out of this first phase. You know, we're reopening up and, you know, uh, cases are going back up and people are like, well, we did what we were supposed to. Aren't we done? Yeah. Well, I just, I don't know if you saw it online. If you look at the United States curve, we'll call it a curve for lack of a better description of this blob that's running straight across the page uh, with a slight uptick. Um, We're not doing as well as a lot of other countries. No. So I think the rest of the world is getting to see that um, we've got some issues here. And yeah, going back to to mitigation strategies and interventions, um, I don't know when we... I was going to reserve that for the last part of the show. I don't know if you want to start moving. No, let's go ahead because let's go ahead because that's that's the thing. We're at a time right now where obviously we're trying to reopen and we're trying to keep everything. I don't even know if the right word is status quo. It's like we want to be able to go out and be normal, Mm -hmm. but how do we prevent a re-escalation, I guess, is the question. You're trying to cull that virus level down in the population at the same time, bring your life back up to something that's comfortable and fun to live in. Right. Because uh, what we've been through with that, that isolation is not fun for humans. We are pretty social, right? We, we do like to interact, whether it's our close family or some, in some cases at bars with strangers. And uh, unfortunately, right now, those behaviors that we have the most fun with in like in social settings are the ones that help transmit pathogen, right? The, this virus, for example, because uh, you might see, well, let's back up. Let's, let's, let's go back to influenza, right? That's mm-hmm. a pandemic. We, we tend to think of pandemics like influenza related to this, even though it's a different class of virus. Um, cholera was a plague. Um, uh, let's see. You can go back, you know, through history and time and and find these things. What's different? All right, measles, for example. Let's take measles as as an example. That's a mosquito-transmitted disease. You heard the R-naught value? Have you heard? That's probably come up in some of those articles. That's the reproduction of the virus. By definition, if that R-naught value drops below one, that particular strain of virus kills its host too fast or it doesn't, doesn't, uh, it's not transmissible enough. It'll die out. Okay. Right? And a virus... It's not a living entity. It can't adjust itself uh, to to a different being by a design. It's a random mutation that occurs. And so things like coronavirus, that's a single-strand RNA which goes through in the replication process. It, it can mutate because it just makes mistakes all the time. And sometimes the, these mutations can make it more virulent more virulent, uh, um, easier to transmit. It can go the other way, make it more deadly, less deadly. It's it's all random chance. And so going back to the Spanish flu in 1918, what they're finding is that we call it Spanish, but it has nothing to do with Spain, right? It's just that there was no censorship of the Spanish press at the time as they were reporting this illness back in 1917, 1918. It's they're thought to be avian, and yes, it went through avian, but originally it jumped from equines, from horses. And so around 1872, going back in the Toronto region, sweeping through the United States, it 
was you had a die off of horses. Everybody, there was a, a lot of fatality in horses throughout the United States in a, in a short time period, like four months. Hmm. And that's, and across at that time, because you also had something called, um, Hendemic, they called it, uh, turkeys with big heads, it jumped across and into the avian systems. And so where I was going with that is when you have a co-infection uh, in, a, in a reservoir host, uh, some other host of two different uh, viruses, like uh, let's say SARS-CoV-2 from a bat, one from a pangolin, they can cross and a new virus is born. And there is a potential um, it can happen in humans. So, for example, in the old days, we had H7N7, and I'll talk. I'll mention what HNN are in just a second. That can cross with the Spanish flu H1N1, and you get, an, for example, H1N7 or an H7N1 can result from that cross. And our bodies don't know how to handle that as well. All right. So that's that's kind of just explaining what can happen in the case, not so much of, of the, the annual flu, but what's happened in certain periods of our life. Um, if you go back before 1918, it was 1847, H1N1, a strain of that was around. And, um, shoot, let me look at my notes because my memory sounds so good. In, all right, so 1830, H1N1. When we're children, our, our immune systems learn that flu strain comes around that first time and we come in contact with it. We start building antibodies to that particular one. Let's say it's H1N1. H is, is hemagglutinin. And um, the N is neuraminidase, but there's 18 different H's and 11 different N's. So you've got 198 combinations of which 131 are known. The other 67 are not known yet. So just when it comes to the flu, right? And that's just, that's just within the human types. We can still have a lot of combinations we have not encountered yet in humankind. Which is why we still have to advise people to get the flu shot. Well, okay, so what happens is the subtypes, like H1N1, is different. 1957, the new, the new subtype appeared, and the H1N1 kind of died out. And okay. so you end up with H, H, H2N2 until 1968. So born in 66, I think you are born in 67? Yep. So we have, we're expected to have immunity to the H2N2 flu strain, right, subtype. 1968? It, it changed. It became an H3N2. Now, because we have H2N2, that N2 portion is somewhat protective. We get an attenuated uh, flu because of that N2 portion. And what the H is, that H is the protein that allows this virus to, to sneak into our cells, right? It gets inside, and then it replicates inside our cells, takes it over. The N portion is what allows it to come out. And when we, as humans, our antibody response it will be to try to stop that H protein and N protein. And that's what we learn when we're very young, right? Our body learns this. So every time a flu comes around and if it's not H1N1, let's say it's H3N8, bam, those people are susceptible. So what was interesting about the 1918 flu is you, you had a spike of 20 to 29 year olds dying at a much higher level than older people, which is not the norm, right? We've always been taught flu comes around, any other disease, the, the very young infants and the very old are the most susceptible right. for fatalities. Well, here you had the spike that um, a guy named Vaughn looked at. And yes, we had a lot of huddled together 20, 30 year olds during World War I. But you also had a shift in the virus type that uh, a different strain of the flu. 
than had been seen before because in, 19, in 1900, you had H1N8. Prior to 1889, you had H3N8. So if you think 30 years or 29 years from 1889, that's your 1918 susceptible population. They're prepared for H3N8. H1N1 infects you. Body builds up antibodies for H3N8, and it doesn't do a thing for H1N1. They come down with a full case of the flu. Higher mortality, right? Are you, hopefully, I've tried to explain it in a way that I hope makes sense. Of course not. <laughs> <laughs> I think, we, just, I think we lost all but one different. viewer because of that. Okay. <laughs> no, but so here's the thing. Simple. Here's the thing. Right, so I mean, the, the, the bottom line is we need to understand that it's not the same each and every year, which is, which is what most of us, we just flu. It's all the flu. Mm-hmm. And, you know, oh, I had a flu shot, you know, last year or five years ago. I'm good. Well, in reality, we're not, possibly. Right. So does, does, do the medical doctors or the pharmacies, because I, to be honest, I haven't gone for a flu shot in I don't know how long, maybe 20 years. But for people that are going, are they describing the different shots each year? Those, they they change out the alpha type. Um, so you get the H3N2, right? Because that is the common circulating okay. one right now. But people, folks like in our generation, you, me, those in 68 and beyond are even more protected against H3N2. There was an accidental lab release of H1N1 in 1977 that – so we have two types going around. But what you're talking about, those, those strains that we use, you go back to the last – at the end of the season last year and you pick certain cities that had the last outbreaks and then they select from those. I think WHO has their meeting in February each year and then selects those type that they're going to – additional uh, inoculations for those okay. strains of viruses. because. Within H1, let's say it's H3N2, there's subtle differences. They mutate all the time, and so you're trying to adjust for that. Because you and I, I haven't had a flu shot either. I had the flu in 1985, and it was entirely memorable. It was very memorable. I never wanted it again, and I have not had it since. And so presumably that was the H3. It was either an H3N2 or an H1N1 that was going through the population, and more likely H1N1, because we are somewhat protected against the H3N2, you and I, right. for being in our birth year, right? Right, because we, we hear about the H1N1 more. Right. Okay. So there was an accidental release in 77 H1N1 from, presumed from a laboratory in China, um, or I, I can't remember the other uh, potential country, but the reason they knew it was laboratory released is they had uh, specimens, voucher specimens from the 50s of H1N1, no difference in mutation to that so they know it was a laboratory colony Mm. laboratory reared which brings me now let's talk about covid okay this is how we know that that covid is highly unlikely to be engineered in a laboratory and accidentally released because of the um phylogeny because of the genetic sequence you can see i mean it's, it's obvious when you start characterizing it by the genetic sequence what's related to what and when just like, you know, when we do Ancestry or, or 23andMe, you can figure out who's related to who and right. our parents get about 50%. Um, you know, my brother and I share about 50% of the same genes, right, siblings, uh, from the parents. The same thing occurs in viruses, so you can trace it back. So this SARS-CoV-2, 
um, pangolins are implicated as the host where it was co-infected with the SARS-CoV-2 from um, bats. And bats, unfortunately, seem to be the start of a lot of these things, whether it's the origins of H1N1, a long time ago came from a bat virus. They know of, um, I think it's 500 different bat viruses, but the estimate's in the thousands. So we have seven known types of coronaviruses circulating in humans right now, of which um, there's one called OC43, which is about 20% of the common cold cases. Now, here's the sobering news about this. Coronavirus, um, common cold, anything that mutates, we're always going to have to change that vaccine from year to year. Uh, there's no way you can't treat it like measles and, and one time and, and you're inoculated and, and you're safe from it because of that mutation that occurs. And here you got a virus we've never seen before uh, that's got some relationship back to the original SARS, comes from the same family. Um, but you got SARS, which eventually died out. There were like 8,000 cases and gosh, uh, probably close to a thousand deaths, I think. For SARS, Good. and you remember it was a lot. It was in the news a lot. Well, Middle East, yeah. And then it just went away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which a lot of those do. I mean, you know, just about everything that has happened in the last ten years, you know, popped up, was big for about a month or two, and then gone. Obviously, this is different. But is it is it really because of is it because of the fact that it's unknown, or is it the fact that we might be dealing with mutations already it's it's a combination of both i I think i saw that there were eight different strains of the sars cov2 going around now and they've done some file i think you and i spoke about a paper where they did the phylogeny phylogenetic Mm -hmm. classification and found that the introduction in the new york area primarily came from europe right that route they can look at those strains and those mutations and and kind of gauge backwards uh, where things were coming from. Right. And you're right. Our human body is not used to this SARS-CoV-2, but there's something going on there. there I just saw somewhere, somebody reported that there's a higher incidence in 40 and 50 year olds, but I don't, my intuition tells me that's not going to be from any kind of t- uh, immunity or T cell immunity or some other uh, immunity that's already acquired from some other disease across immunity, it's probably more likely because we've had our elderly quarantined. And so they're social distancing much more so than the 40 to 50 year old right. class. And so we may see a little bit higher uh, incidence of the disease in, in that population, those of us in our age right. range. Now, we also talked about transmission and the confusion that still exist in, you know, is it truly transmittable in the air by coughing, sneezing, and, you know, do masks work, not work, or are they more for, you know, the infected, you know, to not pass it on, or is it for, you know, for us not to be infected? Um, But the efficacy of, you know, the particle transmission is completely different, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's just a lot of unknowns. We don't know the amount of copies of virus in the air, live, live virus in the air needed in a, in a certain volume and, and ingested either um, ocular, nasal, or oral to cause infection. We don't know these things. Uh, what we do know 
is that if you look at the characteristics of aerosols when you have a mask on versus not having a mask, it deflects the forward momentum of a lot of those particles and causes them to lose their forward momentum. And you'll see aerosols, especially light ones, go straight up. up, right? And, depending. and so if you look at some of the things we know from the case studies uh, of, of certain situations like restaurants, buses, airplanes, where we, ha- we know there's an infected individual in a proximity, uh, you see a lot of transmission in the bus at seats six over, you know, six seats back and two over, uh, which then pretty much say to you, it leads you to the conclusion that's an airborne transfer, not or an airplane. Like I'm not moving from seat AA and going back to 15F and causing, you know, sitting there and touching their surfaces. So clearly there's an airborne component. There's more than likely a, a fomite transmission component to a surface component. That's why they tell you to wash your hands, right. but that would require you, you know, sticking your hands in your mouth, eyes, um, or nose to tr- get the full transfer. So that, that can happen, but geez, the amount of cases we're seeing and things like churches in a choir or in a bar, there's case studies in a bar where people are dancing, heavy breathing, a lot, of, a lot more aerosol distribution out in the air. And uh, I, I know uh, I, I was being totally serious when I mentioned if you know somebody with a vape pen, the particle size coming out of a vape pen after you exhale it is about the same average particle size as the COVID virus aerosol droplets. And you get an idea. You can see those because of the oil that's coming out in those aerosols. You can see where the, where the, the vapor goes. You get an idea. Just which could explain why students who were in the beginning believed to not be susceptible would have their parties and then all of a sudden everybody would be sick and be well, not not saying that they're all vaping, but you know, if you're vaping, (laughs) you're actually passing particles a lot more than you would if you weren't, right? Yeah. And you watch what happens indoors and that concentration effect. It's the same it's the same principle as why with a spatial mosquito repellent, they work fantastic indoors because you're concentrating that chemical indoors in right. your indoor space. And you know that the, the suction of your air conditioner is not sufficient to clear you out and make you safe. You need a much stronger pull, right, intake on those if you really want to be safe. And the safest place for you to be is outdoors, right? And so right. if you have to be indoors, that's, that's, that's why I've gone back. I, did, I mentioned to you that podcast I did for the University of South Carolina, those guys that they asked me. And I, I regret that one statement I made where masks are best left in the hands of professionals because I was looking at it the same way they did at the beginning, which is uh, protecting you from stuff coming in, and it's not as effective that way. It can have an effect Going just like out. surgeons wear masks, right? They, you wouldn't want your surgeon coming into your operating room and you have an operation with them without no mask or gloves, without the scrubs. You wouldn't want that, right? right? Because it's been proven that um, it reduces that chance for transfer pathogens. Let me ask a question and this you may not be able to answer, but it just came to me. If we are better off outside, how do we protect our insides better? Is there a way that we can increase the efficiency of our HVAC systems and, you know, do things like HEPA filter filtration work in these situations? Yeah, I don't know, Marvin. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know the answer to that. It looks like in airplanes, they if you look at those case studies, that, that the movement of air that they've got going along the side there, mm-hmm. along the windows, you know, how it's, it's t- and cycled through HEPA filters, is having a positive impact on reduction. Uh, but there's another thing I just uh, I found it fascinating. There was a German study that I think is coming out, a published peer review paper, 
where they took a whole community, and I, I want to say it's well over a thousand people, and looked at folks that lived in the same house together. They're finding only about a fifteen percent transfer indoors, mm. um, and they looked at antibodies. So folks that had in the whole community that had developed antibodies and found the fatality rate to be less than 1%. Out of that study, they were saying 0.2%, which now let's go back to the numbers that we see. And, and I'll tell you why they're a little, you can't, it's, you see, for example, at the last um, uh, morbidity mortality weekly report, MMWR, the CDC did at the end of May, 1.76 million cases, 103,000 fatalities, equals about, man, nah, was that getting close to 5%, maybe a little higher? Yeah. But those are positive confirmed cases, and the fatalities are lumping in all other causes. So anyone with comorbidities get lumped into this. COVID is the cause of death. It gets lumped in that category. But if you trust this study, if the fatality rate is that much lower, that means the true number of infected people can be inferred to be about 50 times, much higher. So it could be that we have 50 million folks already in the United States who are uh, very low symptoms or asymptomatic Asymptomatic, that have recovered and have, we're well on our way to developing herd immunity, but it's still, it's still early to know that we still, you know, a lot of this is just guesswork. And uh, I had written one of my friends a couple of weeks ago, it's maybe getting close to, to three weeks now. Her name's Corey Allen. She's Department of Defense, and she was on the Pandemic Prediction Committee with me. And she's still working for the DOD. And so I wrote her, I said, hey, Corey, can you tell me, um, how are things going with predictions? What do we know? you guys have any insight that we as the public aren't hearing? And she wrote me back and said, well, Uli, let me put it this way. We just canceled this week's meeting because none of the models make any sense because the public is doing 180 degrees opposite of what you expect them to. And that's the way she, she put it because we're trying to model this thing and it just, it, it unknowns. Well, well, I can say this when it comes to models, you live here in Florida. Most of the people listening and watching in Florida, how long did it take us to get the modeling correct for hurricanes? <laughs> If that helps explain it, right? Yep, as many different opinions as there are models. That's um, I've been asked that before. I was at an EPA meeting, and they said, so if we get 10 entomologists like you in a room about repellents, are we going to get one opinion or 10? I said 10. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. All right. So, so Yep. All right, folks. So as you can tell, Uli and I were probably talking above most people. I hope I didn't. I was trying. I can't see the comments after Wendy's just kind of dies off. Yeah, I did. Will we put up sunrise pictures again, please? Yes. <laughs> Give us the stuff we That's want. Carol family. Joan Green is coming down next weekend with her with her um, uh, partner. So her and oh, really? boyfriend will be here. Yeah, so I get to see her. So she'll be down there, but I'll be on the I'll be on the West Coast. So yeah, but you're invited. You'll I can't be in two places at one time. Uh, well, not next weekend, but there's there's other weekends. There is other weekends, and uh, we'll talk about that later. All right. <laughs> All right. So, um, you know, I did not get a list. So you have been, and I should have said this at the beginning uh, for everybody, that you have, as part of your both research and time on the Prediction Committee, have been on a lot of news reports. You've been on um, 
Good Morning America. You've you've been on a whole lot of stuff. So uh, we should probably put some links to some of those up there so people can go back and see your almost famous stuff. I did a I did a seminar for somebody. And I tried to link as many of them were there. I'll send you that, Marvin, if okay. you want that. Yeah. Um, I, I can also send you a, a nice write-up by the Salt Lake Tribune of all. I know it's a media source, but they did a great assembly of scientific studies that cover some of the things I talked about today: buses, planes, bars, those kind of scenarios where you have case studies of transmission of, of SARS-CoV-2 okay. to populations. Right. That might, if anybody's interested, they can always go look. All right, we'll get those get those links out there. So now here's a question: When you're out and you've had yourself an adult drink or two, how often do you end up in conversations like this? It depends. Some of the bartenders down here know that I used to work for the government, mm-hmm. and, and so some of them have questions uh, sometimes. And but I try not to interfere too much, you know, into, into other people's conversations, and I. You know, I like talking about fun things down here. All right. You talk about any government conspiracies or anything like that? <laughs> well, no. Um, God, you know, it's it's. it was interesting. The way government functioned up there, it was quite educational. But I also got – I felt towards the end of my career that I wasn't doing as much good as I used to when I was a scientist. I felt like the further up I went, the more political it became – the more I was doing things just in write-ups that went nowhere, mm. uh, answering questions that I didn't feel were that critical. Right. And, um, you know, there, there are sometimes, yes, yeah, I, I do miss the ability, the veto ability, like a, a Zika virus intervention technique that I thought was incorrect. Here with the pandemic thing, they have, I, I think, pretty sure they have a pandemic response team that I know some of my colleagues on CDC are on. That's different than what I dealt with. Mine was on the prediction side and right. understanding transmission and the uh, the reproduction factor through a population, what those numbers are uh, more so. But, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, it's interesting. And then, you know, sometimes right now it's our government is really operating at about 75% capacity. I don't know if you knew that. The um, Most of the agencies have been capped. Because they're, when I was there. Yeah, because they're quarantined still or? Uh, hiring hiring freeze and hiring limits placed upon discretionary dollars okay. for anything outside of Department of Defense, which is a separate you know, budget item. So in most situations, people would probably be happy that we're not just spending discretionary money at, you know, willy-nilly. But in a case like this, we probably need to reassign some of that money and I don't know if this happens, you know, maybe in your job to understand what I'm going to say is you get, you can't answer your emails and do your job at the same time, right? You, you, you have to pick one or the other and there gets a backlog and things fall through the cracks. And when you're down a certain percentage of your staff, let's say 25%, you're trying to take on more duties and you don't do anything as well as you could if you had the time to spend on it. Okay. So just so you know, that happens to me a lot. Story of life. <laughs> a lot. I to everybody. Well, I think it's I think it's an outcome or the information age, the computer age. Yes. Uh, the cell phones in our hands. Wow, I don't. The poor kids nowadays. So much information comes flying at you, and it, it's just it does. But it it's sometimes too much. For instance, in my case, so you know, I've got a situation now where I've got a customer that we're getting ready to. Uh, install a new server for them. And they decided to open up 
two offices, basically at the same time, in different parts of the state, and they're trying to deal with uh, people working remotely, and they don't have internal IT. And the way I, the reason that bothers me is they have 170 users without internal IT. They want me to be their internal IT, but they don't want to pay more as I do more. And I'm like, that's not the way that that works. And, you know, if I go to an office to do some work, you can't email me and ask me, why haven't I taken care of the two questions that you asked in the email this morning? I'm like, I, I can only do one thing at a time. I can assign a technician to do that, but I got to pay the technician to do that. So it's that whole thing. So the guy's like, well, I Googled, you just need to do this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm like, okay. You understand completely. I'm like, I don't which, care what you Googled. <laughs> and that's what led to a February 5th meeting of 2019 in the, um, deputy administrator's office where I sat down and said, you have four more months to do with me as you please. And then I am gone July 7th, Yay. 2019. I'm stepping, stepping out of that. Oh, and Marvin, when that day comes for you, I know you're going to appreciate it. It's so nice to step off that treadmill and slow back down. It's supposed like I'm in high school again. I, I, don't, I don't know. I have a wife that will probably uh, have a, <laughs> I found a picture. I got to go find it again. It was a picture of um, Marvin's to-do list, and it had a picture of a bee on the front of the book. I mean, and it was literally a book, and I'm sure. Yes. So I was going to get that and uh, tell everybody that's going to be my my list of to-do stuff. Um, you know, part of the reason is because I work so much, and we haven't – you know, all the stuff that she wants to do that is, you know, fun and traveling and all of that stuff. We don't get to do that that much. So when I went to D.C., you know, that was just supposed to be me going up for the conference. <laughs> she had like a dozen people. <laughs> she, she, in conversations with my mom, realized that mom wants to go to D.C. Well, Marvin's going to D.C. Why don't we take the whole family to D.C.? You can write it off, right? <laughs> so that's how that happened. So I'm going to be doing a lot of that, which is one of the reasons I'll be in Bonita Springs this weekend because we really haven't had a ch you know, chance to do anything. She's been sick. I've been working. We've been in quarantine. So it's been, you know, basically since, you know, the holidays, you know, Christmas, uh, that we actually got out to do something. So this will be the first week uh we get to, to go do that. So awesome. But, well, I do remember. Yeah, you guys were in Gallery Place, Chinatown. What a great place! You did yeah. well on that one, Mark. That was a, that place. That was a good find. A, a good find. All right. So, what else is uh, any anything newsworthy? I know. I mean, you're hosting every weekend down in Key West. So, um, anything other than that happening? Uh, you know, I just roll around this island. I like to play trivia. So, music trivia later tonight. I'll do um, Catch the Mania trivia, and then Sunday nights is retro trivia. You know, things from our 80s and 90s that you know, we can actually, we're supposed to remember and probably don't. Okay, trivia. so Sunday night for me is Naked and Afraid, mm -hmm. and Monday is 90 Days, or Before the 90 Days is what we're watching now. Okay, very cool. 
I just watched, uh, was it Dead to Me? <laughs> Christina Applegate. It's yeah. A movie, right? Yeah. It was a, a Netflix series, I think. Two seasons so far. It's pretty good. All right. Dead to Me. I got a. Larry, Larry Brown and Amy Wasserman uh, uh, suggested that in one of our little group chats with Wendy was on. Oh, okay. And uh, we were all comparing notes of what we should be watching. Was, was Larry you know? down there with you guys this past weekend? No, no. Mason Rogers is with me right now. So Mason is the son of Amy Amy Wasserman Brown. Brown. Okay. And he's he wanted to come down and hang out with me a few days before he goes to law school in Oregon. So it's not only high school classmates that come to see me. Now it's the you know the, uh, the children of, of our high school classmates that come want to visit Uncle Uli down in Key West and see how hard it is to live on this island. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. All right. And then you said uh, Joan Green will be down there. Joan's coming down. Um, trying to get Wendy and her dog Charlie back down here. Give Charlie uh, Charlie's a little shits to cute little dog. Give him you know, swimming lessons in the pool. Take him for sunrises and sunsets. Bring right. him to the bar. So, uh, okay. So I probably should have asked you this off air, but the wife always asked me. She was trying to say, well, is Wendy down there? I'm like, well, no, Wendy can't be there. She's working. And I don't, yeah. and I didn't, I didn't get it all. So she's in Orlando working at, uh, at the regional hospital there. You know, Orlando health, uh, when it, uh, she does, um, uh, cancer patients, the infusion okay. room, infusion area. Okay. I should know this better. She's going <laughs> to, well, you know, she's on here every week. It's, you know, she's yeah, going to have to yeah. be on the show mm-hmm. soon. I might as well get her on right. here. <laughs> Hear that, Wendy? Put her on the spot. Let's just say you are hosting Mason right now. Yeah, that's correct. Okay, Lily was correct. Yeah, right. so, yeah, other than that, Marvin, no, I'd love to have a Kevin, Kevin, you guys down here when you're ready, when you we'll got get, time. We will get down there, and uh, but this weekend, Bonita Springs. So, uh, yeah. anybody on the West Coast there? You have about three days to contact me, Marvin at UncleMarv.com, and let me know because I don't know who's there. And I don't want to be yelled at after the fact. So. <laughs> well, yeah, definitely Carol uh, is that way. Yeah. I think she uh, she might have a thing with uh, her daughters may have a tournament. Uh, and she said volleyball? Yeah. Off St. Pete Beach or something like that? I don't know. The, the wife, yeah. will, the wife will tell me later on. I'll, she, she remembers all that stuff. So, all right. Well, Uli, my friend, uh, we'll go ahead and sign off here off the live show. I want to thank everybody that uh, joined us live. And uh, Chris, speaking Chris of made it perfect this, timing, Chris, the snide just as we're going off air. <laughs> you missed all the boring stuff. <laughs> Good for you. You watch the beginning and the end. Look at Larry Brown. Oh, Larry at Brown. All right. Oh my goodness. People are popping in here. Now, now Larry and Amy and, and Wendy, we're down here 2016 uh, for my 50th birthday party. We flew down here and hung out in Key West uh, really? and spent uh, the weekend here. Yeah, it was a great time. All right. Okay. Great time. Well, we will have to uh, talk about that another time. So, right. Snide, Lair, go back and listen from the very beginning. <laughs> right so uli again thank you uh for coming on we'll obviously uh, be in touch we'll uh be seeing you uh, a few weeks maybe love to and thank you marvin for having me I'm all sure. right 
Ladies and gentlemen, thank you. You've just heard Uli Bernier on the Uncle Marv podcast. Uh, head over to UncleMarv.com and basically pay attention to the show notes that we put up, uh, all the links to the things that we talked about. Uh, if you really are uh, a geek and want to know all about the coronavirus, the COVID, and the prediction stuff that Uli did, I will have links there. Uh, you can also check future shows uh, on that page, and then you have links to the Facebook and the YouTube if you want to sign up and be notified when these shows are live or when an audio podcast is posted. So all of that over at UncleMarv.com, and uh, I would encourage you guys to pay attention and do that. Coming up next on the show, YouTube sensation Dan Moisand and the lovely Kelly beyond this weekend so that's going to do it for this episode thank you all again for listening or watching and uh, we'll be back with another show real soon and until then holla <laughs>